Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. Good evening. How you guys doing? Let's see. We got, we got no one over here. That's good. I might be, I might be a little extra. This, hmm. I'm asking you guys, a, actually, no. No, I'm asking you guys a huge favor. Can everyone back there come on up to these front three rows? Squish in. If you're in those back rows, you look too far away from me. I want to see your face, Hawking. Mike, I want to see your face. There we go. There we go. There we go. All right. And maybe there's like a whole empty row right here, and that's not the move. So can you guys scoot forward? If you're like in the back, fill up this empty row. Fill up this empty row. Here we go. I do, I have the blessing of having better eyesight than Pastor Tim, but I still, it's hard to see you all the way out there. So if you guys know you need to do that, do that favor for him. If I have not had the chance of meeting you yet, I know some of you high schoolers I have not met, maybe some of you junior highers, it's your first Wednesday night. If so, welcome. But if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Mateo Mendoza, the new junior high pastor. I've just been here a few weeks now. So grew up in this church. I was here working on uh, staff as an intern last year with a lot of you guys. So some of you high schoolers are like, oh, I didn't even know you left. I'm sad my presence was not uh, missed that much. But happy to be here with you guys. We're closing out our series tonight called, ooh, my, my foot stuck, uh, called God of Miracles. Say God of Miracles. In this series, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is a gospel written to the Gentiles. Say the Gentiles. It's a group of people that did not grow up hearing about God. They did not read the Torah. They did not read the Old Testament. They did not really know who this God was. Most of them were pagans. Sounds like a dirty word. But basically, it just means that they worshiped lots of other gods. And they didn't really know the God that we serve. So uh, Mark is writing this gospel to these people called the Gentiles. And basically, what he's trying to do is show Jesus is God. Say, Jesus is God. So the way he does that, he goes through, and Mark is like an action story. If you, if you think about the four different gospels, Mark is an action story. Like this dude goes like zero to 100 real quick. Like Mark one's like, cool intro, Mark two hits, and he's like immediately like, so this is what Jesus did, and this is what Jesus did. Like he goes straight into it to show that Jesus is God. So if you've been with us for this series, I want to kind of recap it, because it's important to have this series in mind as we go forth tonight. Our first week, we talked about how Jesus is God. Once again, say Jesus is God. We had Miss Catherine speak about that. Miss Catherine was in the room or is in the room. I don't know. We love Miss Catherine. But she's talking about the man who was born paralyzed. And Jesus looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Get up, take your mat, and walk. He heals this man of being paralyzed. Then the next week, we got into talking about how Jesus is Lord. When Jesus heals the man with the withered hand, if you're in junior high, you had the privilege of me getting all gross, like asking, I wonder what this withered hand like looked like? Like, was it crispy? Was it like, I don't know. Like, what does a withered hand look like? I don't know what that means. But I know it's, it's kind of gross. But it's fun to think about. When you read the Bible, you got to like actually think about it. Don't just like read through the words. You got to like picture it, smell it, taste it. That's a weird, and weird, weird in that context, but like picture it and see it for yourself. But we talked about how Jesus is Lord, and we see Jesus heal the man with a withered hand. Then we talked about how Jesus is peace. Everyone say, Jesus is peace. We looked at the story of Jesus calming the wind and the waves. The disciples are freaking out. They come to Jesus, and they're like, do you even care that we're about to die? And he looks at the, the wind and the waves, and he says, quiet, be still. 
in the wind and the waves are calm. We see Jesus, his sovereignty even over nature. And last, last week, we talked about two miracle accounts. We talked about um, Jairus' daughter. She was on the verge of death, and Jairus comes to Jesus to heal his 12-year-old daughter. And then we have, on the, Jesus' way to go heal Jairus' daughter, there's this woman with an issue of blood. And she had been struggling with this issue of bleeding for 12 years. I'm going to say 12 years. I did this in junior high. I had all the 12-year-olds raise their hand. And it's staggering to think about, like, a 12-year-old. Like, that, your entire life, you're struggling with this issue. It's an absolutely crazy story. And she, she reaches out and touches Jesus' cloak. And instantly, she's healed of her bleeding disease. But Jesus has a conversation with this woman because this woman needed deep emotional and spiritual, mental healing. Because of the law, she, was, she had to be away from the rest of the camp. She had to be separate from people because of ritual purity laws. So this woman was not just uh, physically in pain and hurting. She was also lonely. And she had given all of her money to doctors that couldn't even help her. This woman needed healing from Jesus. And Jesus looks at this woman and says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus speaks value and dignity over this woman. But then you have Jairus and the disciples. Jairus' servant comes and says, Jairus, your, servant, your, your daughter's dead. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother the master any further. And Jesus tells Jairus, hey, believe in me. Believe in me. And Jesus goes and heals Jairus' daughter, raises her from the dead. As we've been going through this series, we see this fact that Jesus is sovereign. Everyone say, Jesus is sovereign. And like I was saying, Mark is kind of this action-packed gospel. I've used this illustration in junior high the last few weeks, where if you have this, like, this book, this story, right, every good story writer starts with a good intro, a setting. It's like you know, setting up the Shire and the Hobbits for Lord of the Rings. But then you start to have this, this rising action, right? And during this rising action, you're kind of like, it's, it's, the, it's the page turner. You're like, OK, what's going to happen next? And you're learning more about these characters and the people involved in the story. And it's like Mark is building up this story of, okay, Jesus is sovereign over sin. He looks at the paralyzed man and says, your sons are forgiven. So we see Jesus able to forgive sin. Then we see that Jesus has sovereignty even over, over physical ailments. A man who is paralyzed, a man with a weird, withered hand, whatever that means, he heals them. Their disease, their ailments, gone. Then we see Jesus, he's sleeping. He's absolutely slizzard. He's out. And the disciples are freaking out. And they come and try to wake Jesus up. Like, he wakes up from his beauty nap. I don't know if you guys wake up cranky, like when your parents wake you up for school. And you're like, why, why are you bothering me? Like, let me sleep. Jesus wakes up. He's, he's much more holy than, than me, probably you as well. Um, but, but Jesus wakes up, rebukes the wind and the waves. And it says that the disciples were terrified. Everyone say terrified. Because they're like, oh my, oh my literal, like, God, Jesus. Jesus literally calmed the wind and the waves. He's sovereign over all of creation, not just like a, a withered hand or, or physical ailment or even like able to forgive sin. Every bit of nature and creation obeys him. Are you tracking with me? High school, do I sound like Pastor Tim? Are you tracking with me? There we go. And then last week, we see how Jesus is sovereign even over death. The thing that humanity cannot beat in itself. And Jesus goes to this little girl and he tells the people, She's, she's asleep, and she was physically dead. But what Jesus is getting after is that, that death is just as sleep to Jesus. It's as easy for him to walk over. And if you look at the original language, Talitha Kum, which means little girl, get up. It's like, it's like your parent, once again, like waking you up for school. You'd probably be happier to wake up if you were dead than going to school. But 
grabs her hand and says, sweetheart, wake up. And we see that Jesus is sovereign even over death. And we're going to continue seeing this, this rising action of how Jesus is sovereign and how Jesus is God. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 9. It'll be up on the screen. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. Here we go. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. For context, Jesus, Peter, James, and John are away at a place. I'm going to get to that a little bit later. But they're away, and the rest of the disciples are in this argument with the scribes and this great crowd. Verse 17, and someone from the crowd answered him, or sorry, verse 16, my bad. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Verse 17, and someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Everyone say, not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed, convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. This is some weird stuff going on. Imagine you're in the crowd. Once again, like picture you're in this gospel story. This little boy is like rolling around the ground possessed. It's a crazy, crazy story. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Everyone say believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. I help my unbelief. He cries that out. And when Jesus saw the child, or sorry, when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So most of them said, he did, he gone. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Bow your heads with me. Jesus, we love you. We sang that five, six, seven minutes during worship. And it's not enough. You are so worth loving, Jesus. You are so incredible. As we've walked through this, this series, talking about your power, how you are fully God, how you can do anything, how you are sovereign over all things, I thank you that you care for us. Lord, that you heal because you love, that you, you in your presence, show up among us because you love us, that you move today because you love us, because you care for us. So I pray over every single one of us in this room, myself included, Lord, would we have faith to know and trust you more? 
Would you reveal yourself to us tonight? Would we know you more? Would we see your power? Would we see your strength? Would we see who you are? We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. How many of you know someone or some people that are extremely skeptical all the time? Extremely skeptical. Don't look at the person if they're on your row. Don't, don't out them like that. Skeptical people. There's a lot of skeptical people on earth. I can be a skeptical person sometimes. Oh, I, I saw a point right there. Oh, that's tough. Some, some betrayal right there. But we all know some, some skeptical people. The first thing I thought of when I, came, when I thought of skeptical people was actually myself. I'm not typically too skeptical, but the first thing I was thinking about, I was like, okay, like, when, when have I been skeptical? And it really came into play exactly a week ago, well, six days ago, when the finale of Kenobi came out. Now, because, who, who watched the, all of Kenobi? Come on, come on. Because I love you guys, and it's been out for six days, or seven days, I'm not gonna spoil it for you, so I was like, ah, I gotta, I gotta find another example. It made me think of my friend, James. Everyone say, James. Picture this really cool guy, better sneaker game than me, better style. He's just, he's the coolest. But my friend, James, and James is um, one of my oldest brother's friends. He's a big basketball fan. Uh, I love him dearly. He's like a big brother to me. But James is a skeptic when it comes to a certain basketball player named LeBron James. LeBron James. So we got this guy, LeBron James. Who here knows who LeBron James is? There's no shame if you don't. Just come up and talk to me after so I can make sure that, like, you know one of the most famous people on earth. There we go. So LeBron James. LeBron's a great all-around player and all that stuff, but my friend James is like the ultimate LeBron critic, okay? The ultimate LeBron critic. Like, he'll say things like, LeBron could win three more championships, three more MVPs, score 80 points in the games, and still, he's not the GOAT. MJ is, to be clear. Who agrees that MJ is the GOAT? Testify, testify, church. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I need to... I need to get back to preaching. But he'll, he'll say things like, there's no way LeBron's the GOAT because of the amount of finals he's lost or because of when he's fallen short and like lost to like 2011 Dallas Mavericks. Like, how do you lose to that team? Some of you are like, Pastor Mateo, what are you talking about? I'm sorry. But th- this dude, James, it's like he's skeptical of like everything when it comes to LeBron because of past experience, okay? He looks at LeBron's past and where he came from and what he's done and when he's lost, and he's like, there's no way he's the GOAT. Maybe you're the type of skeptic that like a really dope movie like Avengers Infinity War. Who loves Marvel in here? Come on. Ooh. I was so satisfied the other day. We were talking about like Team Iron Man or Team Captain America, and there was like no Team Iron Man over in junior high, and I was like, these are my people. These are my people. But anyways, but, but a skeptic would look at something like uh, Avengers Infinity War and totally disregard all the epic scenes, such as like Captain America like coming behind the train, they throw the spear at him, and it's like, boom, catches the spear, he comes down the light, like huge beard that I wish I could grow, long hair, and you got the music, like da-na-na, ba-na-na, it's like so epic, he was in exile, or you got like Thor coming out of the sky with this new axe that Groot put together. You got some Thor fans in here? <laughs> Love, it. Love and Thunder looks a little, a little whack, we'll see how it goes, but, but, a skeptical person would look at that and be like, yeah, who cares about these cool scenes because like the comics say, blank, you guys know some of those people like the comic nerds? If you're a comic nerd, I respect it. You know more than us. I'm just here for the entertainment to watch Captain America like in a full beard look epic. But being a skeptical person is sadly a part of the human condition often. We're often quick to doubt things. 
We're often quick to look at things and say, there's no way because fill in the blank. And in this story, we have two sets of people that are skeptics. Everyone say skeptics. The first group of people are the religious leaders, the scribes. Everyone say the scribes. It sounds like a kind of a cool name, but they're not, they're not good people in the Gospels. The scribes, constantly throughout all four of the Gospels, these, these Pharisees, scribes, religious leaders are always trying to catch Jesus saying something wrong, catch him in, in heresy, catch him breaking the law, catch him doing something, because they're like, there's no way this dude is the Messiah. There's no way this dude is the Son of God. You know why they felt that way? Because they'd say, this, this guy's from Nazareth. There's no way that he's, he's the Messiah. Or, or, or like, we know Joseph and Mary. There's no way that Jesus is the Messiah. Shh, don't talk. There's no way that Jesus is the Messiah if, because we know, we know his parents, we know where he came from. They're skeptics. They doubted because they, they felt like they understood something. Their mind was getting stuck on something despite seeing Jesus do miracles and listening to his teachings. They were caught up in what they think. That's the scribes. Then we have the disciples. Everyone say the disciples. If you read the four gospels, you kind of know like, dang, these disciples can kind of be dumb sometimes, right? Like they're just like constantly like missing it. But to be fair, like if I was one of the 12 disciples, I'd probably be even dumber and like missing things. Like I'd be freaking out. Like, Jesus, do you want us to die? He's like, I just fed the 5,000 and gave you like baskets and baskets of like Biagi's garlic bread leftovers. And you're like thinking I'm going to let you die. Like that's how the disciples were there all over the place. But the disciples were constantly full of doubt. They were full of fear. They were also full of self-dependence. Everyone say self-dependence. We see this in, at the end of this story in verse 29. Or verses 28 through 29, the disciples ask, why, why could we not cast the unclean spirit out? And Jesus says, this kind can only be driven out, or this, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. These disciples thought that they could go up to an unclean spirit and be like, oh yeah, like, we don't have Jesus, but we know like last time we, like, there's a, like a demon-possessed person, like, he just said, like, be gone, and it happened. So like, we can, we can just do that, like fill in the formula. Be gone. And this, this kid is like convulsing. And it's like, Wait, that, that didn't happen. Maybe it's like, okay, like let's try like laying hands on him. And then it's like, nothing happens. They're probably freaking out at this point. But they thought they could do it without prayer. They thought that they could do it by themselves. Everyone say, by themselves. And you see, we have these groups of people in this crowd, these religious leaders, the disciples. But then there's one man who, who stands out from the rest. I want to go ahead and read verses 21 through 24. This man is the father of the boy with the unclean spirit. Can we put verses 21 through 24 up? While they're getting, oh, there we go, there we go. Verses 21 through 24. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this, has this been happening to him? And he said, the father said it from childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion. Everyone say Compassion. Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things, everyone say all things, are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out. In some translations, if you have your Bible, you might see it. It says, the father of the child cried out with tears and said, I believe, 
help my unbelief. Imagine the emotional response of this dad, okay? Father can sound like a really like, religious word. Or we think of like God the Father. Think of, think of this dad. And, he, and he's been going out to Jesus, and Jesus isn't with his disciples. So he asked the disciples, please, can you get the spirit out of my son? Imagine how many times maybe this dad has gone and rescued his son from drowning or rescued his son from burning in the fire. This dad is desperate. This dad is desperate. But when he comes to Jesus, he comes differently than the religious leaders or the disciples. He's not a skeptic. Instead, he shows humility. Everyone, everyone say humility. If you're taking notes, just jot that word down. Humility. We see this dad come to Jesus in humility. You can kind of hear in his language. He says, if you can, like, if you can, have compassion on us and help us. It's kind of like a Jesus, like, if you have time, or Jesus, if you're, if you're able, like, would, would you just have compassion and help us? Like, we really, really need it. I really need it for my boy. And then he prays this prayer that is so powerful. He says, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. He says this with tears in his eyes, crying out, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. I want to ask you this question. What is true faith? If you're taking notes, go ahead and jot that down. What is true faith? We have beautiful examples from the woman with the issue of blood that we talked about last week, and also this dad. When we look at their stories and we ask this question, what is true faith? Some, some may say, is it, is it to never doubt? Is it to never doubt? Jesus responds, he says, like, if you can, anything is possible for those who believe. So is the key to faith, to getting a miracle, to seeing God work, is it to never doubt? Is it to, to never think a negative thought? If I, just, if I just keep on telling myself, like, no, believe in God, believe in God, believe he's going to do it. No, believe. Don't let yourself doubt. Don't let yourself doubt. Is that faith? Is it's having the right amount of faith, the faith that Jesus is looking for. Having a certain quantity of faith. Like Jesus is looking, he's like, all right, Gabriel, let's check out their faith meter. Got to get to an 8.5 for me to do a miracle. Mm. Ah, 7.4. It's tough. They got to sing more good worship songs by, by Pastor Victor. Or, you know, we need to write more songs or something. I don't know, because it's not enough. Faith. Is that what faith is? Having the right amount or is faith having humility? Not caring what anyone thinks, but coming to Jesus in weakness. Everyone say in weakness. Think about these two examples we have. Everyone look at me. Everyone look at me. We have these two examples of the woman with the issue of blood and this dad, the boy who has an unclean spirit for years. Both of them have been suffering for years and years. Both of them have been trying to find answers, cures. Imagine the hopelessness they feel. At this point, it's like last resort. They're like, Jesus, like, we'll, we'll try this guy out. We've heard about him. I've never even seen him, but we'll try him out. See if he's able to do anything. We've heard these stories of what he can do. And both of them come in humility. We don't see the dad come to Jesus and 
ask Jesus, be like, yo, like, can you heal my daughter? Like, I know you got it. Like, I know sweat. Like, you're, you're the son of God. Like, go for it. Do your healing. He didn't have a false confidence. He didn't try to get himself to like, okay, fine, I need to like, get more faith, get more faith, get more faith. Okay, like, when I go up to Jesus, like, I need to say the right thing and, and like, pray the right thing. He comes to Jesus and says, like, if you can, like, if you can, like, have compassion on us, help us. And Jesus is, is learning what this man's heart is about. He says, if you can, anything's possible for those who believe. And this man cries out, I believe, help me with my disbelief. It's this humility that the dad has. He's not trying to prove anything to Jesus, but in humility, he doesn't care what people think. He comes to Jesus in his weakness and says, God, I need your help. I want you guys to write this down. That faith moves us toward Jesus in humility. I'm going to put that on the screen. Faith moves us towards Jesus in humility. What faith does is it brings us to Jesus and says, I believe. Help me with my unbelief, Jesus. Faith says, okay, I, be- I believe that you can do this, God, and I have doubts, and I have questions, and I have things that I don't know about, and I can't explain why this person got healed that I prayed for, and these three people that I prayed for didn't get healed. I can't, I can't explain it to you, but I believe that you can, so help me with my disbelief. Faith moves us towards Jesus in humility. We see the woman has faith enough to go and reach for Jesus' cloak, right? She reaches for Jesus' cloak. We see that faith leads the Father to asking Jesus to get this unclean spirit out of his boy. You see, faith is not a magic formula. That one perfectly concocted, like, makes a miracle. It's not like A plus B plus C equals plus D equals E. It's not pray the right, right words, do the right thing, go to church enough, be the perfect Christian, like add on all these things, and then maybe God will do something because he's seen everything you've done. Everyone look at me. That's not the faith that Jesus calls us to. And I want to say I'm sorry if, you, if you've been taught that that's what faith is. is. Well, you better be going to church enough, and you better be praying enough. You better be reading. You didn't read your Bible yesterday? Why are you praying for a miracle today? It's not going to happen. These are, these are teachings that people hear. Do all of these things if you want healing. Do all of these things because that's what faith looks like. But that's not what faith is. It's not a magic formula. God's not a genie in a bottle where if we do the perfect things, we get a certain number of wishes. Our God is a sovereign God. Everyone say a sovereign God. He's also a father who cares deeply for his children. So when we're coming to him, we don't have to say the perfect words. We don't have to pray the perfect prayer. We don't have to be, be a great preacher or great at praying or great worship leader to, to be heard by God. He's a father that wants to hear his children. Amen? He's a father that wants to hear his children. I want us to read Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Everyone say assurance. And everyone say Conviction. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the the conviction of things not seen. Faith, having faith in Jesus is this this gut feeling of, 
I, Lord, I know you can do it. It's this, it's this assurance, it's this, it's this faith of coming to Jesus and believing that he is able. Now, this is what I want to suggest to you today, brothers and sisters, that our faith is anchored in the revelation of who Christ is. I should have made a slide for that because it's a little bit wordy. So I'm going to say it a few more times. If you want to write it down, go for it. Faith, is, our faith is anchored in the revelation of who Christ is. Our faith is anchored in the revelation of who Christ is. This is what I mean. I love how the gospel writer Mark positions the events in Mark 9. If you know what happens before verses 14 through 29, you can see it in your Bible maybe. If you don't know, the beginning of Mark 9 is a story of the Mount of Transfiguration. Some of you have heard this story. We talked about it last summer, talking about how Jesus is glorious. But we have the Mount of Transfiguration. It's this story where Jesus, Peter, James, and John go up to this mountain. That's why they're not with the disciples at the beginning of this story with the, with the boy with the unclean spirit. They go up this mountain. Peter, James, and John are thinking it's just another day, like being in Jesus' inner circle. Like, that's my dog. He chose me. Let's go. Think it's going to be a nice, nice afternoon of prayer. And all of a sudden, it's like everything changes. And all of a sudden, like, Jesus becomes like dazzling white and he's glowing. It's like radiant. His clothes are dazzling white. And then all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses are, are there with Jesus. Imagine being one of the disciples. You're like, first of all, terrified. You're like, all of a sudden, boom, like these two dudes show up. You're like, where, where did this come from? But you're in this glorious moment where we see this full picture of Jesus' holiness, that he's glorious, that he is fully God. Imagine, any, any way you can imagine. I don't, even, I don't even know, but I look forward to seeing that day when I get to see Jesus looking glorious and radiant. But they get this picture of Jesus. They see him. And right after this account is when Jesus comes down the mountain and heals the boy with the unclean spirit. Now think about being one of the Gentile readers of this gospel, maybe one of the Gentiles who are being read this story. You have this epic moment where it's almost like a climax of this rising action. Jesus is sovereign over all these things, over sin, and he can heal, and he's sovereign over creation. Then it's like, he is like a full God. Like, he is God. He's fully God. And then he comes back down the mountain, and there's these disciples that can't cast out this spirit. And what Mark is, was going after here is that the reason why we have faith in Jesus is because he's God. The reason we have faith in Jesus is because he is the glorious one, the holy one. He is fully God. Everyone say fully God. So what does this mean for us? That when we come to Jesus, we have this faith, we have this assurance, we have this conviction of who Jesus is when we have a revelation of who Jesus is. When I realize Jesus is the God who can heal, Jesus is the God that's sovereign over all creation, Jesus is the God that sits down just like the woman with the issue of bleeding. He stops after she's already healed and looks her in the face and says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He's the God that raises the dead to life, something humans aren't able to do. This is this is who Jesus is. And what Mark calls us to do in the story, he uses this father, I think in many ways, to resemble you and I. 
you and I, people coming to Jesus, hoping that he is who he says he is, and we believe we know who he is, then we pray, I believe, and help me with my disbelief. Our faith is anchored in the revelation of who Christ is. Now, before we wrap up, I want to focus on the last verse of this passage. It's an interesting verse, verse 29. The disciples are asking, why could we not cast out this evil spirit? And Jesus says to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Everyone say prayer. Now, what does this what does this mean? And in the context of having faith, in the context of having the humility to pray, I believe, help me with my disbelief. What does this mean? I believe that this call to prayer is a call to dependence on God. Everyone say dependence. We see that the disciples were unable to cast this unclean spirit out of the boy. And, and like I was talking about, they probably figured that, okay, if we say the exact same words that Jesus did, like that formula, all of a sudden, like, unclean spirits, like gonzo. Or, or like, we, you know, we pray how Jesus prayed, or we lay hands like how Jesus prayed, or, like, Jesus does weird things. Like, it's, it's usually, like, different. Like, for a blind man one time, like, he, like, spits in, like, the, the dirt and, like, makes mud and rubs it on his eyes. It's like, oh, that, that's, that's weird. Like, so who knows what the disciples tried to do to get this unclean spirit out. But it says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And, friends, what this shows us is that to have faith and to see God work, we cannot do it in ourselves, all right? We can't do it in ourselves. And what Jesus is saying is that we must be connected to our Father, that we can't do the things that Jesus did if we don't have the relationship with the Father that Jesus had with him. Jesus constantly withdraws to pray. He's the Son of God. Like, he grew up for all of eternity like, with, with God the Father however that works in the eternal like, span of time. But Jesus often withdrew to pray. And we see that Jesus calls them to be people that pray, that to be able to cast out demons, to be able to hear the voice of the Lord, to be able to, to walk with Jesus, we have to constantly walk in step with the Spirit. How do we do that? We walk in prayer. Now, some of you may be saying like, well, what, is, what does that look like? Am I walking through my school? Like, God, who do I pray for? Who do I pray for? Like, God, like, show me someone. Like, no, like, that's, that's kind of weird. Don't do that. Everyone's going to be freaking out. But what, it can be as simple as you driving to school. You're saying, Lord, would you highlight someone for me to, to go and talk to today? Or you're, you're sitting at lunch with your friends. You feel like you got your squad. But then you see someone sitting by themselves. You say, Lord, would you, would you help me to, to walk with this person? Maybe the Lord calls you to go and pray for someone who's got a physical injury or someone that's going through a hard time. When we are in step with the Spirit, when we pray to God, when we just say, Father, what is your will? Father, would you lead me today? It doesn't have to be these long, big prayers. When we walk with Jesus, he leads us on where to go. This kind of comes out only by prayer. Tim Keller says this, through Jesus, we don't need perfect righteousness, just repentant helplessness to access the presence of God. I love that. We simply need repentant helplessness. Much like 
this dad, he didn't try to say the right words. He comes to Jesus and I do believe, would you help me with my doubt? Repentant helplessness is how we come to Jesus. Jesus isn't asking you like, you better be praying eight hours so that you can cast out a demon. No, 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 that's not, that's not what he's going after. What Jesus is calling us into is dependence on him, saying, God, I cannot do it by myself. I want to go ahead and call the worship team up. Pardon me, my, I'm still adjusting to Colorado. I need the water. As you read this story, one of my big takeaways for y'all is this. It's going to sound major sad, but we can't have this faith by our own willpower. Okay, everyone look at me. We can't have our own, this type of faith by our own willpower. And some of you maybe are in this room really, really spiritually tired. Some of you are in this room really spiritually tired because you've been, you've been trying to do the Christian thing as best as you can. You've been trying to, to pray and trying to read your Bible and trying to believe that God's going to work in your school or in your friends. I want to tell you guys that we cannot have the type of faith that Jesus requires by ourselves. We can't do it by ourselves. You know, I, as I was getting ready for the message today, I woke up this morning um, with this on my mind, with this on my heart, with, with you guys on my mind and my heart. And I started feeling challenged by the Lord. You know, I was thinking through all these like, you know, good points and scriptures. And I'm like, yeah, talking about faith, this is awesome. It sounds really good theoretically. But then, then Jesus asked me this question just, just a few hours ago while we were in this room praying. He said, do you believe that I still move? Do you believe that I'm, that I'm still working? Not just telling you guys like, hey, like, you know, this is what it looks like to have faith. It's, it's humility, blah, blah, blah. No, do, do you, Mateo, believe that I still move? And I'm in this room with you guys and I, I've walked through things in my life where I have seen healings. I have seen God do miracles. They come in different ways, shapes, and forms. I've seen someone with a deaf ear. That ear was opened and they could hear. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. One time I was about to play drums for like an hour and a half worship set and I had a killer migraine. I was like, how am I going to do this? This drums is the worst instrument to have a migraine for. And I'm, I was going up and I was like, Lord, like, would you please heal my migraine? And we're playing the first song and all of a sudden I'm like, my head isn't hurting. Like I was, I literally thought I was gonna like pass out with this migraine. It was, it was tough. Boom, gone, healing. I've seen other type of miracles, miracles of freedom, people that struggle with addictions, broken in a moment by the power of the presence of God, by the power of the gospel taking root in people's hearts. But I've also seen things that I don't understand. I've prayed for miracles, I've prayed for healings, and I haven't seen them. My, my family, Pastor Victor and I, we have an incredible sister. And she was, she was born with lots of special needs. And doctors told my parents, like, 
you should abort her. Like, it's not gonna be a safe, like, delivery, all this stuff. If she, if she even is born, she probably won't live. She, like, if she does live, she won't walk. She won't, much have, she won't have much, like, cognitive ability. My parents in faith believed for a miracle, and in faith, they gave birth to my sister. She's gone through 30-plus surgeries in her life. She's 26. Is that right, 26? Or 27. <laughs> Once your siblings pass like 25, you sit there and you're like, I don't know how old you are. She's in her mid-20s. And she is a miracle. Make no mistake, she is a miracle. Like, when I, I watch her, some of you know her, she was your, your kid's teacher. When I, when I listen to her share her story, I listen to her preach the word of God, I look, that's a miracle. Now, it's not the miracle that I would have picked. I would have picked walk normal, no specialized needs, no surgeries, pain-free, right? That's what you guys would probably choose. When I, cut, when I came in here today, feeling amped about this message, I also felt burdened. Because I know many of you are coming in this room, and this all sounds good, and you read scripture, and you're like, cool. Jesus heals, he's sovereign, he's big, he's powerful, he's God, he's Lord. I get it. But some of you are coming in here emotionally emotionally heavy listening to some of these messages about our God being a God of miracles. You're coming in here spiritually tired because you've been believing for this miracle. And I was so inspired by, by this man's prayer to Jesus. I believe, I've said like eight billion times tonight because it's been important to me. I believe, help my disbelief. This man is in tears, crying out. Imagine the desperation. I believe, Jesus, help me with my disbelief. In other words, I believe, I believe that you can do healing. I believe that you're able. Would you, but would you help me with my doubts? Help me with my fears. Help me with my past experience that doesn't make sense to me. I believe, Jesus, that you are God, that you are able. I've seen miracles. I've seen healings. I've seen, seen you give freedom. I've seen you do these things. Help me with my doubts and my struggles. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel. Is that Jesus does not wait for us to have enough faith before he moves. He doesn't wait for us, for us to have enough faith or faith without doubts to move. What we see is that over 2,000 years ago, while we were still sinners, Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he moves first. Think about the disciples. Obviously, we weren't living at the time. But the disciples, Jesus taken away, right before his execution, they all flee. They're all thinking all of this was, was a lie. It was false. He, we thought he was the Messiah. We were wrong. He's going to die. It's over. They've given up. They were stuck in doubt. They were stuck in fear. Does Jesus say, come on, disciples. You were with me for three years. 
You gotta believe first before I go to the cross for you. It sounds silly, but that's often how we think is that we gotta beat Jesus to faith. That we gotta get there first and then maybe he'll meet us there if we pray the right thing, say the right thing, don't doubt, etc. But Jesus, while he's alone, while humanity is stuck in sin, he dies. He dies for you and me and the disciples that disowned him, the disciple that betrayed him, the thousands of people that were like, oh my gosh, Jesus is awesome. We got 12 baskets of food. Let's Gone. They don't believe in him. And Jesus still chooses to die. And this is what I want to tell you guys, is that Jesus gives faith. If you're taking notes, write that down. Make that the title of the message. Write it again. Jesus gives faith. He moves first. He initiates. He reveals himself. He reveals himself differently. There's one thing that's not a formula. Guys, thank God that our God is not a formula God. Because that means he wouldn't be a relational God. Okay? If God always worked, and okay, first step is I'm going to like make them look at the mountains, and they're going to be like, wow, there must be a God. Like, there's no way this could just happen. And then step two is, you know, listen to Pastor Tim preach and get them saved. Like, he's relational, so he works in different ways for different people. He works in different ways around the world, in different countries. But I can tell you, that no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus. So I want to call you guys into tonight. Go ahead and stand up with me. I'm asking you guys to, to lean in. If you're bored, if you're not into this, I'm, I'm not going to like make you. I'm asking you guys, please, don't, don't distract the people around you. I believe that Jesus is going to work in this room tonight. In a few minutes, we're, we're going to take time to pray for miracles. We're take time to pray for God to bring freedom. Take God, pray for God to, to bring healing, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual. But before we do that, some of you may be like, I feel like I have no faith to even believe that he can do that. It's okay. I struggle with doubt too. Thank God that Jesus isn't demanding a doubtless faith for us to be able to come to him, okay? He's not demanding that. What faith does is it moves us towards Jesus in humility saying, Jesus, I believe, but I need help with my doubts. Jesus, I believe but I need you to give me faith. I need you to give me the faith and the trust in you that you you can and that you will bring healing to my broken family, that you will bring healing to my parents' divorce. Let's make it real. That you will help me break free from the addiction I've been stuck in for years. Let's make it real. That you would heal, that you would heal the stomach, stomach issue I've been having, that you would heal the injury that I have, that you would heal, that you'd heal me emotionally, that I've been stuck in depression or anxiety. 
that your Holy Spirit would come and wash over me and bring healing. We're going to pray for that. But first, we're going to take a few minutes to sing this song. And while we sing this song, we're praying, Lord, would you give me faith? I love the bridge. It says, I may be weak, but your spirit is strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. So we're going to come to the Lord in faith. We're going to come asking him that he will give us faith to believe for what he's going to do. So if you want to spread out across this room, if you want to come up to the front and get on your knees. And listen, hear me clearly, brothers and sisters. We are not begging God as if he's a father that's reluctant, okay? He's not reluctant. He's not holding it out here like, reach out, reach out, get it, get it. We're coming to a God in desperation like the dad saying, in tears, Help me to have faith, Jesus. I want to have faith in you, despite the difficulty and the trauma and the suffering and and the things that I can't move past in my brain. Help me to have faith. Let's worship together. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.